The kids might not care, but some of the adults are like, don't leave us hanging, Beth. Why is it red? Well, there's this incredible thing called the internets and you can go look it up. Um, or you can ask Sabrina. She's our resident liturgical nerd. That, her words, that's what she calls herself. So um, yeah, so I wonder, um, <clears throat> I wonder, do you believe that story? Don't answer out loud. Just um, Like I wonder if you believe that story. And if you believe that story that the resurrected Christ, remember we've been talking for weeks, the resurrected, bodily resurrected Christ ascends into heaven. He tells his disciples, it's gonna be a good thing when I do that because once I've ascended to be with the Father, then you'll receive the helper. So he said this was gonna happen. And then it happened just like he said. And then the spirit comes, like ignites his people literally on fire so that thousands become a part of the church. Like, I wonder if you believe that that really happened. Um, I think it obviously expresses itself in different ways today. But I wonder if you really believe or realize or understand that that same power that Beth just talked about that literally ignited his believers into starting a movement that revolutionized the Roman Empire and the entire world, I wonder if you really believe that that same power lives in you. Like right now. And lives in us. And I wonder if sometimes when we think about that power living in us and among us and we, and we look at what the church is doing in the world and just what, what are we doing? <laughs> we have all the power and authority that God has given us and what, what are we doing with it? Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first pastor who's ever said this to his or her church, uh, but I really believe um, that that power is alive and present in us. Um, I have the privilege of getting to see it um, in action through many of you often. Um, and I believe that God has big and beautiful things um, in store, not only for the church, but for this church. And sometimes that's hard, I have to remind myself, because right now the world seems a little more chaotic than usual, right? If you look if you're on YouTube or whatever, you look through your social media feeds, how many posts are now saying like, is this the end? <laughs> like, is, is it time, right? Um, things seem a little more chaotic than normal. Might not seem like the future's bright, uh, but I'm convinced it is. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you, uh, somebody once told me that all change is experienced as loss, right? Um, I've been feeling that recently. Uh, I've been here at this church, back at this church now just over three years. Uh, year one was occupied by a renovation. Uh, we finished the renovation and two months later, year two and three were occupied by a pandemic. <laughs> uh, it's been a crazy three years. Um, and I feel a sense of loss often, lots of change. But I know that every living thing, it either changes and grows or it stagnates and dies. So I'm confident that I'm even excited about the fact that God has a bright future in store for us. Even though I know that that means that there are gonna be some significant changes. And there already have been, even before innovation, even before the pandemic. Uh, my first summer here, our session, uh, we held a working retreat. We got to go to Bill's Beach Bungalow, which I love that he demands we refer to it as a beach bungalow. Um, but we had a chance to go uh, spend the weekend um, and work and discern uh, begin to put into words the vision that God was putting on our hearts for the future of our church. Uh, we spent time at the beach, 
some of us in the hot tub, <laughs> we spent time in prayer, uh, but we spent time in particular reading through one New Testament letter. And we read through the letter uh, to the Ephesians. And coming out of that retreat, we were unified as a session about the language around a purpose and a mission because it's language that was given to us from scripture. That our purpose is to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That our mission at First Pres is to go and make disciples of all nations. Like that is why we exist. And during that time, we also came up with language for these four values that we believe are gonna guide us as we grow up to become a church of disciple-making disciples. That we wanna be people who are formed who are biblically literate, who are spiritually formed, who are mission focused and who are gospel fluent. So all of that happened at just the right time. Like we literally got all the language in place before everything went crazy. Um, So now we're coming out of a pandemic or we're at least learning how to live with it and we are moving into a new season. Um, And we are back at work, working to complete and articulate the vision, the picture of who this church is gonna be when it grows up. But the cool thing about this phase of the task is that's not work that the session does by itself. This is work that we have to do together. As a church, we have to figure out what is the picture of the church that we're gonna be when we grow up. In the summer and all next year, we're gonna do that work. But the exact right place to start is exactly where our session started three years ago, and it's with the letter to Ephesians. Now, there are 21 letters in the New Testament, uh, 13 of which we believe are written by Paul. And many of those letters, most of them, were written to specific churches in order to help them deal with drama, honestly. Um, I always hear people say that we just need to go back and be like the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Like, I used to say that myself when I was idealistic and in seminary. Uh, But do you know what every single church throughout history has had in common? Drama. (laughs) Go read the book of Acts. Peter and Paul spend more time fighting than agreeing. There is drama in the church throughout history. Paul, the other writers, they write letters to help the earliest churches work things out. I wanna show you this quote. This is a quote by Dr. John Walton. He says, these letters weren't written to us, but God has provided them for us. And that is really important. When we study the New Testament Testament letters, we have got to remember that these letters were not originally written to us. They have a context. They were written to a particular people living in a particular culture at a specific time in history. And we have to take all that into consideration as we read these letters. I had a professor once say that a text, so any text of scripture, a text without context is a pretext for anything you want it to say. Later on this summer, we're gonna get to Ephesians 5. And I'm gonna point out scripture that has been used in the church throughout history to justify slavery. That's not why it was written. A text without context is pretext for anything you want it to say. So we have to keep this in mind when we read these letters. But even though those letters aren't written to us, They are God's authoritative and living word and he has provided them as a gift for us because these letters throughout history will always proclaim the gospel to the lost. Those of us who are born again, they're gonna lead us into maturity in Christ and they're gonna guide the church throughout all generations, teach us how to handle any drama that might come our way. 
So the unique thing about Ephesians uh, and the reason that we're choosing it is that it's a little different from the other letters. It actually isn't addressed to a particular church and it doesn't deal with a specific drama. (laughs) It's written to a whole group of Christians in a Roman city called Ephesus 2,000 years ago. They have history context. We'll talk about that this summer. But the purpose of this letter is unique. Um, Our friends at the Bible Project, if y'all are familiar with the Bible Project, they say that Ephesians is not written to a church. It's written to the church. And it summarizes the gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our story. And the letter itself is actually organized that way. The first three chapters summarize the gospel story and then chapters four through six talk about how that shapes our lives. So we're gonna spend this summer working through uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're gonna wrestle with who we are as a church and we're gonna discover what it means to live what we call a gospel fluent life. So that's about as much as you're gonna hear from me today. For the rest of today, we're gonna hear from Paul himself. I wanna read you the first half of this letter. I wanna read you chapters one through three all the way through. And then over the next few weeks, we're gonna go by those chapters, go through those chapters verse by verse. Uh, Once we finish chapter three, we'll take another week later in the summer and read the second half of the letter in its entirety. And then we'll go through those verse by verse as well. And I really want you to know this is actually how scripture is supposed to be read. Uh, One of the downsides of having chapter and verse numbers is that it's trained us to read scripture in segments, like a couple verses at a time. Scripture was never meant to be read that way. So as I get ready to read this, what I wanna do is I wanna invite you just to consider, you, you can't travel back in time, you can't do that, but like, just imagine, okay? Uh, You're going to church on a Sunday morning in the city of Ephesus and you're not sure what's in store, uh, but when you show up, you start hearing the rumors around, you hear a little buzz of what's gonna happen in worship today and you find out that Paul, like, like the Paul, the guy who met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, the guy who's been planting churches and spreading Christianity all throughout the Gentile world, the guy who's been writing letters to all of these churches, he wrote us a letter like he addressed it to us, to this city. And today in worship, we get to hear directly from him. So I want you to keep that in mind as you hear this read. But let me pray and then we'll read the scripture. Father, uh, pray that as we hear just a long chunk of scripture read, I pray that you would help us focus. That the words that Paul wrote, that you inspired Paul to write, the words you gave Paul to write 2,000 years ago, that they are sufficient to capture our attention, that they are sufficient to inspire us, to move us, to help us understand the gospel story and what it means for our daily lives. So open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we could receive it. As always, we pray that we would leave this place, that our hands and our feet would be used that we wouldn't be afraid to use our mouths to say the words that you've given us to say so that the world can come to know how much you love them. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. 
Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And everybody say this part together. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And I'm gonna try not to interrupt Paul too many times, uh, but I just want you to know that's the main point. Right, verse 10, that's the thesis, that's the main argument he's gonna make. That's the gospel truth that the rest of this letter will explain. That what will be brought under Christ? Like just the things you want to give to Christ? Like something? No, everything will be brought under the authority of Christ. Verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would be praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased, used, uh, he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And just really quick, just a little nerd note about scripture. Um, in the Greek, I just finished the first sentence. <laughs> Paul has terrible grammar. <laughs> that is one long sentence. And what I'm about to read through the end of chapter one is the second sentence, all right? This is verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. On to chapter two. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, 
You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. If this letter is good news, it is good news, but it's not naive. It deals honestly with the reality that even though God's plan to unite all things through Christ has already begun, there is still evil at work, right? And we see it every day. There's still evil at work in this world and within humanity, and that can make this present reality a really dark one at times. Paul's not blind to that. But he goes on in verse four. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for those who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he has planned for us long ago. Do you understand the power of those two verses? The salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. You cannot earn this. And you can't boast about your good deeds. But because we have been saved and made new in Christ, now we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. That is the gospel truth. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in a world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of laws with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. 
Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Like, you guys know, like, um, like in the State of the Union address, like, it's like every five seconds, half the room stands up and applauds, right? Like, I'm telling you the whole room at least three different times as what I've just read has been read, would have stood up in applause, would have stood up in tears because of the depth of what Paul is saying to them. That last section, Jew and Gentile, you can replace that with whoever you want today, mortal enemies. And he says that not only has the gospel, right? We think of the gospel as just saving my soul so I can go to heaven when I die. Of course it does that. Y'all, it does so much more. He's saying that the gospel has not only like stopped the war between the enemies. What has it done? It's made them one. It's made them families. Like I want you to think right now in our world, where are the enemies? Who are the groups opposed to each other? Who are the groups that can't listen to each other? Who are the groups that just call each other names, make horrible assumptions about each other? In Ephesians, the gospel is saying that because you are now anew in Christ, you are part of God's family. You have been made one even with your enemies. Over and over, Paul is telling us, church, you have been saved. It's time to live like it. Verse 20, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And on to chapter three. He says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. (laughs) Other translations say because of you Gentiles. Sounds kind of harsh, right? That's not what he means. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming by the way that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and the prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept in secret from the beginning. 
God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our job is to display the gospel to who? To everyone where? Yeah, we might think everywhere in the world. What does that say? Like God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to what? The unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you realize the power and the authority that God has given to his church? Not just to give good news to lost people here on earth. He's saying we're preaching it to the angels and the demons. God seems to think that we have all the power we need to do what he's called us to do. What are we doing with it? In verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. And when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. If, if you go home later today and you keep reading chapters four through six, you're, you're gonna hear Paul take all this and then describe how now we are to live, how the church is to function, how we are to live this life so that the world can see this display of God's plan and God's wisdom. But before we do that, we're gonna go back. Everything I've just read, we're gonna do this verse by verse over the next couple of weeks. But to close this week, I want us to read these last two verses together. So everybody with me. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in the hearing of your word and the proclamation of the gospel, that you are drawing us closer to you, that you've drawn us closer to each other as a family, that you have helped us see that all the dividing lines in the society that keep us apart from one another, all the hostilities, all the drama, that you have overcome it all and you are calling your children to come back, to come home. So God, I pray that you're guiding us, that you're with us, that you're present through Paul's words as we gather in worship and we just go through this piece by piece over the next few weeks. We pray that each week it would inspire us to not only reflect 
on your grace and your mercy for us, but on the work that you've given us to do. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.